Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. Well, you know, on Wednesday nights, I, I, I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to round out our discipleship experience here, you know, so I'm choosing to, to touch on different, different topics on Wednesday nights, you know, something different for each Wednesday of the month. Of course, you know, a fifth Wednesday happens very rarely, so, you know, I don't really, I didn't really think ahead about, hey, what happens if there's a fifth Sunday? Well, well guess what? Today's a, a fifth Sunday. So I, I thought that might be a good time to talk about revival and, and you know, just praying for revival and, and get our hearts right for revival, because if there's anything uh, that we need, it's revival. That's for sure. And so tonight we're going to look in Isaiah 6. If you have your Bibles or Bible app, uh, we'll look in Isaiah 6 here in, in, in just a little bit. But we need revival because the t- statistics are pretty um, bad. The, church, the American church is dwindling. And either, you know, churches are closing their doors hundreds a month. Or, I guess you could say churches are going rogue they're going to, they're moving toward unbiblical progressive liberal kind of ideas they're going getting away from the scriptures and the few churches that will stand strong on scripture they they might be getting watered down relying on worldly practices and and pragmatism using pragmatic philosophies and, and if the church itself is not bogged down by those necessarily, then, but maybe the people within the church are. Um, we've gotten just real close to the world. And the world um, is what we think about a lot. The things of the world is what we think about a lot. And, you know, I'm not saying necessarily that's what we are doing because I'm speaking in generalizations about the American church. But, you know, it's always good to take a hard look at ourselves as well, I would think. Um, I mean, are we as a church and then are we as individuals, are we spiritual or are we worldly? Are we living for God? Or, or is God more like a means to an end for a comfortable lifestyle? And I think that therein lies a big crux of what's happening to the American church. The, for the most part, the American church wants to be comfortable, and so it compromises with the world in order to be comfortable, which means then when you do that, you're more concerned about self than you are about God. And so that's why we need revival. We need to be revived out of that slump, out of that ditch, out of be, that line of thinking. And, you know, this is not something new. This is something that the church has had to deal with, I mean, since its inception, but it, it's, it, it's something that, that God's people have always needed to deal with. And so, you know, you th- think of the prophet Isaiah and his time, you know, um, 8th century BC, thereabouts. He had to deal with people who were compromised, who were worldly, who, who um, and, and so he was sent as a messenger of revival, but even he himself needed revival. 
And so as we read this passage in Isaiah, you know, it's easy to point the finger at, oh, you know, it's the mainline Protestants that have gone all liberal, them, them over there, them, them people over there, you know, it's their fault the church is the way it is, it's their fault the church is the way it is. So instead of pointing fingers, let's just consider ourselves. Let's point some fingers at ourselves and just take some lessons to heart. Um, from what Isaiah says. And so in Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8, a very familiar passage, um, but I hope we, we can glean some things about revival from it. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts." Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. So let's touch on some lessons about revival that I think that we uh, really ought to take to heart so that it can lead to our own revival, our own personal revival and our revival as a church. And the first lesson that we notice in this passage from Isaiah is that we need a fresh awareness of God's character. We need a fresh awareness of God's character. And what I mean by that is we need a renewed and clear view of who God is and what it is that he has done and what it is that he is like. When the vision came to Isaiah, you know, it was some rough times going on and, and you know, the kingdom was split. There was Israel and then the, there was Judah and there was, in Judah, there was some political changes going on in the year that King Uzziah died. You know, so there were some political changes going on. I mean, not unlike what our nation will be going through over the next year. And, and people were fretting about their political future, uh, what's going to happen to the nation, maybe making some unholy alliances and, and things like that. But, you know, they, they were more concerned about the earthly. They were more concerned about the worldly. And they forgot their spiritual state before the Lord. They didn't really care about their spiritual state before the Lord. They wanted comfort on this earth. They wanted ease. They wanted to get, get as much from the world as they could. Get out of life whatever you can for yourself. And that's kind of what, what the, the mindset of both nations was really like. Um, they, they were, the northern kingdom of Israel was very apostate and rebellious, but Judah was not that far behind them in, in being apostate and turning from the Lord. Again, you know, it was personal, about personal comfort, and, and, and they were trying, what would lead to the greatest personal comfort? Where could I get the most out of life on this earth? 
And for some, that meant abandoning God altogether. And they turned to idols, thinking that these idols would give them the pleasure that they sought. Um, and, and sure, the false religions of the day would feed into the flesh. I mean, yeah, oh, you want that? Sure. You know, they, they made up these false religions that just happened to go right along with the sins that they wanted to commit. Again, sounds kind of familiar, huh? Let's make a religion around the sin that I want to commit. I want a religion that says that my sin is okay. And that's what they were doing. That's what the, and that's what the people of our day are looking for. A religion that is going to allow them to feed their fleshly desires. Now, yes, we're going to mix in a little sprinkle of religion here and there so we can feel better about ourselves. But I want a religion that caters to me. I want a religion that says that I don't sin or my sin is okay, whatever my particular sin happens to be. And what's sad is then that a lot of churches have taken on, if you want to call it the Burger King philosophy, they're like, sure, have it your way, right? Have it your way so they can feed into this frenzy, meaning you know, that, that these churches are willing to compromise in order to feed into people's flesh. As long as it means you know, packing the pews and making sure the money keeps rolling in. Ultimately, though, I mean, what is it they're worshiping? They're obviously not worshiping God. They're worshiping self. They're worshiping at the altar of self. They've created a religion around themselves. And they're, they, they put on the whole facade. Oh, yeah, I'm worshiping God. No, you're worshiping yourself. Here, here's my version of Jesus. Wow, isn't it funny that your Jesus looks just like you? Isn't that wild? That's weird how that happens. And so they've created the, these idols. And so to turn from this, to turn away from the idol of self, to turn away from the idol of pleasure, to turn away from the idol of the flesh, or whatever other idols you want to say there might be out there, we need a refreshed awareness of God and his attributes and his characteristics so we can right the ship, so to speak. Right the ship of our hearts, get it back where it needs to be. And Isaiah himself, you know, we think Isaiah, he's a prophet, he's good. But Isaiah himself needed a, a realignment of the heart. And he got it when he became fully aware of God's majesty. So Isaiah is brought up to the heavenly throne room and he sees God in all his grandeur, or, or at least as much as a human can take in, right? I mean, a human can only take in so much. But upon seeing what he saw, Isaiah was reminded about how big and mighty God was. He was reminded that God is all-powerful. He was reminded that God is all-knowing. He was reminded that God is everywhere present. He was reminded that there is no one like our God. No one. But even beyond that, he finds that heaven places a great emphasis on God's ultimate characteristic from which all his other characteristics flow. He hears the eternal cry of the angels saying, Holy, holy, 
holy is the Lord. And his glory is found all over the earth. Everything that God is, he is because he is holy. I mean, I know everyone would think, would want to hear God is love, 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 love. God is mercy, mercy, mercy. God is holy, holy, holy. He's separate. There is no one like him. He is holy. He is completely pure. He is holy. He, he, he cannot dwell in the presence of sin because he is holy. God is just because he is holy, and God is love because he is holy. I mean, if you're going to summarize God, okay, there, there it is. As much as a human can, fine. Here's the summary. Holy, holy, holy. And this is where revival begins with Isaiah. And this is where revival is going to begin with the church, being reminded about how big our God is, how awesome our God is, how mighty our God is, how holy our God is. When we get a clear vision of God and we get a clear vision of his character, it puts everything else into perspective. And we would do anything we could to serve and love this amazing God. So it starts there being reawakened to his character who our god is but there's more for revival we also see that secondly we need a new awakening of christian conscience we need our christian conscience awakened what do i mean by that well you you look at isaiah when isaiah is confronted with god's holy character what happens he's confronted about his own character that, well, guess what? It's not holy. It's not. It's like, it's almost as if Isaiah saw himself as he truly is for the very first time. When he was confronted with the character and majesty and grandeur and holiness of God, and he saw who God for who he is, he finally realized who he was. And the assessment that he came away with was not the pop psychology of our day and age. Oh, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and I'm a pretty likable guy or gal, you know? That's what, that's what we like to come away with from our churches today. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and people like me. That's not what Isaiah said. When he was confronted with the character of God and he saw himself for who he was, he said, woe is me. That means his conscience was a lot enlivened to the truth of his sinfulness. It was enlivened to his need for the mercies of God. And, and we need our consciences to be reawakened to those facts. We need to... to have a constant reminder that day by day and moment by moment, we need Jesus Christ because of who we are, but because who he is. The American church needs to see itself for what it is. American Christians need to see themselves for who they are. We need to see ourselves clearly, not with the rose-colored glasses that we love to look at ourselves with, that we normally look at ourselves with and see ourselves for who we are, and then what happens? We repent. 
Like, woe is me. I mean, that's what happened to Isaiah, right? Isaiah, in verse 5, he cries out, woe is me, for I am lost. Some versions will say, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah didn't start bargaining with God. Isaiah didn't try to explain to God that, well, I'm really not that bad of a guy. I'm not as bad as those other people think I might be, or you might think I am really not. Instead of excusing his sin, he saw himself and his sin for what it really is. He didn't, he, American Christians are so good at trying to bargain with God and, and thinking somehow God is going to compromise uh, on his holiness. Well, I'm, yeah, I got these problems, but you know Joe down the street, I'm nowhere near as bad as him. That's not the way it works. American Christians are good at coming to God on their own terms and telling God what they think, how they think things are. How good, they, we love to tell God how good we really think we are and, and things like that. And we think that God is there to feed into that. I'm good, so God, you give me good. I mean, only American Christianity could come up with that whole wealth and health and wealth garbage, that, that junk, all the positive pop psychology stuff. Yeah, God, you're here to feed my ego. You are here to make me feel good about myself. You are here so I can live my best life now. But here's the thing, when you truly realize your sinfulness, it leads to an attitude of repentance. And when you do, you see yourself in your sinfulness and you, 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 you're brought to repentance, God does not leave you under the weight of despair that it brings. I mean, you can hear, you can almost hear the despair in Isaiah's voice. Woe is me, I, I, I'm, I'm done, I'm finished, I'm a dead man. But God did not leave him under the burden of his sinfulness when he came to God in faith and repentance. He wasn't left under the burden of sinfulness so that he couldn't get back up. Because to Isaiah and then through Isaiah to us, he reminds us that he provided a way to cleanse that sin. Now, for, for Isaiah, there was that seraphim that took the tongs and took the coal from the altar and you know, touched his lips, and that was a, a symbolic of purification. He was purified. We have something a whole lot better than a piece of coal from the altar. We have Jesus Christ. And yes, we are great sinners, but God has provided a great Savior. And when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we won't know to run to the Savior if we don't admit how sinful we are. If we if we continue to excuse ourselves for, for what, what we're doing. And I, I'm talking about evangelical Christianity. I'm not even talking about liberal mumbo-jumbo. I'm talking about those who claim to be Bible-believing Christians. Even Bible-believing Christians try to justify themselves in any way that they can so that they continue to play footsie with the world and keep their pet sins. And then they wonder, I don't understand why I'm so spiritually stagnant. I don't understand why I don't hear from God. I don't get it. 
because you're more in love with the world than you are with God. And you really don't see yourself for who you are because you have yet to see God for who he really is. And you're going to remain spiritually stagnant until you see God for who he is. It causes you to see you for who you are and you realize your sinfulness and then you make a beeline to the Savior. I'm going to go straight to the Savior. And then very quickly, third, we need a new attention to the souls of humanity. We need a new attention to the souls of humanity. Um, so Isaiah has clearly seen God. He has clearly seen himself. He's been cleansed by God. And now God asks a very important question throughout all of heaven. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Meaning who is going to go out into the world and warn the world about the coming wrath and the justice of God and tell them the way of mercy. Tell them the way of repentance. Who's going to go? Who is going to go about the work of telling people how their souls can be saved? And what does Isaiah say here? He says, that's right, send out the vocational priests because they're going to do it because that's what they're paid for. Wait a minute. That, wait, that, no, that, that's not in my version. Maybe, maybe he says here, you know what, send out the super holy people who have the gift of evangelism in the congregation. I think they can do it. No, he doesn't say that either in my version. That's weird. What did he say? He said, here I am. Send me. You see God's character, you see your own character, you rely on God's provision, and you take responsibility for the call God places on your life, see to the souls of humanity. Revival will only come when people take responsibility to fulfill the call of ministry that God has placed on their lives and not just be Sunday morning pew sitters. God is not going to revive a church where 80% of the people are sitting on their laurels. And do you think you will have revival when God is merely an add-on to everything else rather than being the main thing? So I think of Google Chrome. Now, obviously, I'm not very technically savvy, but we'll try here. So Google Chrome, the web browser. Google Chrome is the main program, but you can get all sorts of different add-ons to put onto Google Chrome so it will interact with all these other programs you got on your computer. But those are just the add-ons. Google Chrome is the main program. Well, here's the thing. So many American Christians think that God is an add-on and they are the main program. So, I'm the main program, I'm going to add on God, I'm going to add on church, but then I'm going to add on this, and I'm going to add on that, and add on that, and, and, but I'm the main program. I'm the browser. It's all about me. That's not the way it works. Revival will not come until we figure out God is the what it's all about. You know, when, when, if you go to most evangelical churches and you talk to all Bible-believing Christians and you ask them, do you want revival? 
Well, duh, Every, all of them is gonna say, yes, I want revival. The problem is nobody wants to take the responsibility of doing anything to prepare for revival. And right now there's a whole lot of pressure falling upon the American church. And I fear how much more pressure God is gonna put on the American church before we either get right or we buckle. And so when will the American church see that they need to get a refreshed awareness of God's character, they need to awaken themselves to their Christian conscience and then pay more attention to the souls of men. And so tonight we need to pray for ourselves and our church and our fellow churches that God would bring a revival before more churches close their doors. But in order, but I just wanna mention, in order to be revived, you need to be vibed first. You can't be revived until you've been vibed. Now what in the world does that mean? I'm starting to make up words. Well, the word, that, that comes from the word for life. Having life, and you need life. And life is only found in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is life, and you will not have life outside of him. No matter how hard you try. And so come to Jesus for life. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.